Good morning. I read a quote this week uh, by Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor that I really love. I don't know if you've heard of him before, but I want to share you this quote this morning. And this is the quote, when you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. If you're uh, one of those uh, people who have used the Version app before, Pastor Rochelle, he's, he's the pastor of a church called Life Church in Oklahoma, and they're the ones who uh, are kind of the supporting structure behind the Version app. It's one of the ministries, one of their online ministry platforms that they, that they serve. And here in our church, uh, many of you know, uh, Andrew Strozik was a member of our church, grew up here in the youth group, and he's there in Oklahoma now working uh, for the staff there, writing data, uh, coding, and different things like that behind the scenes to make this thing work, but it's such a a, a connection that we have there, and it's pretty neat uh, to see that and to hear that, but I want you to hear, again, this statement this morning, because it's going to frame a lot of what we're going to do this morning. When you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. Well, I don't actually know who all of you are, uh, but I want to introduce myself to you. My name is Pastor Milo. If you're watching from home this morning, if you are guests with us this morning, my name is Pastor Milo. It's good to be with you. It's nice to meet you this morning. Uh, If you don't know who I am, I'd like to be able to introduce myself to you afterwards. Or if you're online, you just need to send us a message that says, I'd like to uh, connect with someone in the office, and we'll follow up with you uh, right away there. Uh, but if it's your first week here, or if it's, uh, you've been away for a couple of weeks, or you took off the whole summer, or you've been gone for all of COVID, and you decided to come back today, welcome back. We are in the third week of a sermon series called The Sermon on a Mount, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Excuse me, chapters 5 through 7. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I hope you've got your own copy of God's Word, or you can use that version app if you'd like, find your way to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. That's where we will be. If you've got a red-letter Bible like I do this morning, there's a lot of words on these next couple of pages that are all written in red. That's what a red-letter Bible does, is it uses that font, uses that text to let us know that these were words that Christ spoke himself while he is here on the earth. And so we get this framework as he is teaching and preaching. He is preaching this sermon, and these are the words of Christ. If we were to read the entire Sermon on the Mount, uh, we could read it this morning aloud, and it would take us about 10 minutes. A few pages of Scripture, we could make our way through it. Uh, we could read through it in about 10 minutes, and we'd be done. Uh, but we're not going to do it in 10 minutes uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to do it in about 10 weeks we're going to take to go through this, because there's so much depth here, because the words of Christ are so rich that we're going to dig in here for a while. And in it, in these, these 10 weeks or these 10 minutes, if you were just listening to Jesus share this sermon, uh, there are so many things that he does that, that kind of flip things upside down. The kingdom of God is what he calls it. He said, uh, you have heard someone say, and then I will tell you, as we're going to get into those in a couple of weeks. For all intents and purposes, the way that you and I as human beings look at the world around us and interact with the world around us, which isn't so different from the first century Christians as they were looking at it as well, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you a different way. I'm going to teach you a way to look at things entirely different, an upside-down way, an upside-down perspective. Because it's a new way of living that is radically different from where you and I would naturally gravitate if left to our own devices. So when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So let's read here again the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5. It's a familiar passage to many of you, but has it changed you? 
It's a familiar passage. Has it transformed you? It's a familiar passage, but it hasn't made you look at your life and look at how you interact with this world and now have a completely different perspective and a completely different point of view from maybe what your next-door neighbor who has not seen this passage, who has not spent some time in God's Word on these chapters, on this sermon, that maybe they're not seeing things from the same point of view. Maybe a different point of view than your cubicle mate or a different point of view from the other teacher that teaches with you in that classroom day after day, week after week year after you. Because if you see it here this morning, and if you catch it here this morning, you're going to realize that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town or a city cannot be built on a hill, cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You are salt. You are light. That's the title of the sermon this morning. I remember a few years ago when our family was just beginning to get accustomed to having a smartphone. We were kind of late to the party. I don't know where you fall into that category, but we were not early adopters uh, for the smartphone. But as we were getting used to it, I began to learn some tips and tricks. Maybe I'll share some with you this morning that you didn't know about, but because I was doing a lot of biking at the time, I learned how to do a lot of voice commands with Siri to be able to, to do some things that were hands-free because the phone was either in my backpack or in my pocket, and I wanted to be able to use the phone. So I was able to tell the phone to do stuff like this, hey Siri, read me my messages, and it could read me my text messages. And so I would listen to my text messages, and sometimes it's weird how they read them and that type of thing, but I was able to find out what was going on. Or I could send messages out to people just using a set of headphones without having to take my phone out of my pocket and try to type something into the phone while riding a bicycle down the side of the highway. So I don't think uh, that would be a great idea. So this is a really great tool to begin to use uh, to be able to send messages out back and forth. As many of you as well, if you use this type of technology, it doesn't always work right. And if, if you ever get messages from me, at the end of the day, I've actually found the comedy relief of sending whatever the message is that it says it's going to send. I'm just going to send it and see what happens. But as is the case with all technological advances, there's some quirks that come with these perks that we get with having a smartphone. For instance, my wife. Uh, her name is Erin. She's teaching downstairs this morning, but her name is Erin. And one of the elders here at our church, at Randall Church, his name is also Erin. So her name is Erin. His name is Erin. And as you might expect, being able at times to distinguish which Erin I want to send a message to is kind of an important thing because those individuals are separate people and there's different types of messages that I would want to send them. Here, for example, uh, might be a problem. Uh, hey Siri, message Aaron. The meeting's going to run late tonight, so I don't want to pick the kids up from soccer practice so you can catch your breath beforehand. Now, which Aaron am I talking to? Because the Richbart boys are going to be at soccer practice wondering why no one ever came to pick them up. Hey Siri, message Aaron. The meeting's going to run late tonight, so let's get lunch today and make a plan for Christmas break. I'll meet you at Chipotle at 12.30. Who's coming to Chipotle? 
I, I don't know. Like, I send the message out, and it, it's, a, it's a total uh, shot in the dark as to who might be there if I don't check on this and be careful with this. Hey, Siri, message Aaron. The meetings are going to run late tonight, so maybe have a cup of coffee so we can spend some quality time afterwards and snuggle. <laughs> After a couple of messages like that, I had to take corrective action. I had to figure out how to do something different. I learned that I could tell Siri, maybe you don't know how to do this. Hey Siri, Aaron Wilson is my wife. And so now I can send messages to say, Siri, tell my wife that I will be late for dinner. Hey Siri, tell my wife this. And so it's able to remember that. And so I'll say, Siri, tell my wife I'll be 30 minutes late for dinner. Hey Siri, give me directions to home. And it starts to work in that manner. Well, Erin, my wife Erin, heard me doing this fairly often, and so she tried to give it a try as well. So she said something like this, hey Siri, give me directions home. And do you know what Siri did in response to Erin? Siri said, I don't know who you are. I don't know how to send you home. I'm sorry. And Erin, as she hears this, she's in one of those moments that many of you as mothers can be in where, where you've been continually running your kids back and forth to here and to there, and your personhood gets intermingled with the personhood of your child, where, where you are no longer Erin, uh, you are the parents of Delia, or the, the, the parents of the mother of Hazel, or this role that you play is, oh, you're the, the soccer team manager, and you lose kind of the, the, the balance of identity for yourself. So in this machine... This robotic voice, Siri, says to her, I don't know who you are. My poor wife breaks down in tears and says, Siri, I don't know who I am either. And I don't know if artificial intelligence, AI, I don't know if it can recognize yet an awkward moment, but this was an awkward moment where Siri just backed away and said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to leave this one alone. Because this moment just got super awkward. I don't know who I am, Siri. The problem is that for many Christians, that they don't know who they are either when it comes to who they are in Christ. And because they don't know who they are, then they don't know what to do. You see, because Christians don't know who they are, then they don't know what to do. And this isn't unique to us today. The first century church, first century Christians struggled to know what it is they were supposed to do at times as well. But the Apostle Paul teaches them that their identity isn't found in what they do, but it's found in who they are. Their identity is not found in what they do, but it's found in who they are in Christ. In Ephesians, Paul focuses on Jesus Christ. And the way that Jesus is creating his church in this upside-down kingdom that we're talking about here. This new social order of love and unity that transcends all racial and ethnic and social distinctions between people. That the church, the church that Jesus is creating, and only in and through Jesus, that God's work of love and grace and redemption is performed. So listen to the language Paul uses in the opening chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, and you've probably read this before, Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 says this, blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
So Paul is choosing words here to describe our relationship with Christ that have every connection to being adopted into the family of God. For he chose him, he says. Paul tells us, before the creation of the world. You see, your identity and my identity is not determined by the opinions of others. Your identity is not determined by your professional success or even by what you think that you see when you look in the mirror in the morning. That's not your identity. No, you've been adopted by God. In Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And so now, if you know who you are, then you know what to do. And so what does the Apostle Paul tell them to do in Ephesus? I'm so glad you asked. Go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Here's what Paul tells them to do. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, stand. You see, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this encouraging to you as a Christian? Isn't this freeing to you, follower of Christ, that you can stand, you've been adopted by God, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through His Son, Jesus Christ, you can take your stand against the powers of darkness. So put your armor on. Put on your belt of truth. Put on your breastplate of righteousness. Hold out your shield of faith. Oh, I can't do that, Pastor. I'm just a regular Christian. I'm just a regular Christian. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? I'm just a regular Christian. I'm not some type of prayer warrior or anything, so I'll just let someone else do that whole armor of God thing. I'll be super supportive of them. I'll be encouraging to them, but I'm just going to stay in the background. And therein lies the problem. Just like my wife said, I don't know who I am, Siri. See, the problem for many Christians is they don't really know who they are in Christ. And because they don't really know who they are, they often don't know what to do. For example, at a big banquet or a dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, almost every time when I'm there, someone will say, Pastor Milo, will you bless the meal? And if you do that, after hearing this message, I want you to know that this is going to be my response. When you say, Pastor Milo, would you bless the meal? I'm going to say something like, I'd be happy to, but why don't you bless the meal? And I'm going to watch you squirm. Because almost every time that I've done that, the person will be like, oh, 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 no, 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 no. I'm not the pastor or anything. I'm just a regular Christian. You can almost hear what they're thinking. It's kind of like, you know, you're a pastor and I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Or you're a pastor and I'm just a college student. Or, or you're the pastor and I'm just an entry-level bank teller. You're the pastor and all they're saying is, I'm just a regular Christian. I'm not qualified to pray in front of people. I'm here to tell you this morning that that, that line of thinking cuts both ways. 
There are many times that I don't feel very qualified to be praying in front of people either. And there are times, if I'm completely honest, I'm standing here this morning sharing with you that I kind of feel that way this morning sharing this message with you today. But when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So friends, I owe you an apology. And this is a bit of an aside, but someone pulled me aside this week. Someone was quietly and respectfully pulled me aside and told me, I know what you did. That never feels good. When when a conversation starts that way, I know what you did, it didn't feel right. What they knew that I did, they were referring to an announcement that I made here with you last week, an announcement that, that changed our policy on masks, particularly with our kids. We made that announcement, and so here's the apology that I owe you, and this is what the person knew that I did. I'll just get to it, because what I did was this. I copied and pasted from the words that Pastor Jerry at the chapel used when he was describing what they were going to be doing with their kids' ministry and a lot of things that they were doing with their masking policy in their church. I copied and pasted it right into our announcements and and the decision that we were doing going forward. So here's the slide of what it looks like. I highlighted, you can't quite see it terribly well there, but on the the left-hand side, uh, those are the words that Pastor Jerry used to communicate to his congregation, and on the right-hand side, the same two or three sentences are identical to what I shared with you as a congregation. Of, of what I shared with you, said, this is what we are going to be doing, and I didn't give him the proper credit in that. Now, I meet with Pastor Jerry a few times a year. Uh, we sat down together at Creekside Restaurant right here in the village just a few months ago, and when we sat there and talked earlier this spring, we talked about all the complexities of leading a church through a season like this and, and all these turbulent waters. And I thanked him specifically, talked through like the, the leadership that he has given to his church. It, it's more than just his church because there's a number of us in smaller churches uh, that are looking to them for leadership and say, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to handle this? What are you going to say? And, and those type of things. And so he, he acknowledged that he, he knows that he's got a role in that. As we are making decisions with limited understanding and limited uh, knowledge of information of what's out there, we have to make a decision sometimes. And so our elder board, a couple weeks ago, we talked through all the pros and cons, what we had before us, of how we're going to make our decisions here as a church. We prayed over our main concerns that we had and on all those things. And then I was tasked to come up with the proper wording that we'd send it out to the congregation. I copied and pasted this, sent it back to the elders, said, I think this will work. I think it's exactly what we want to be able to communicate. It'll communicate well. And so I sent it back. So Jerry had told me, he said, anything that we do as a church, anything that we put together, anything that we produce when it comes to videos or anything like that, in order to help you as churches to be able to be a collective church of Western New York, to be able to utilize these tools so we can remain unified, so that we can be on the same page, so we can do our best to communicate with clarity, you are welcome to any of those resources. He gave us full permission to use all of those resources and share his content, which is what I did here. However, he did not tell me that I could do that and pass it off as my own language or my own work. That I did all on my own. And so this morning I want to tell you, I want to to say to you, I am wrong in that. I am sorry for that. I ask your forgiveness for doing that because I am your pastor. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. And so when you called me as your pastor, when you know who you are, you know what to do. I'm committed to be above reproach as outlined in 1 Timothy and in Titus chapter 1. So what I need to do here this morning is humble myself before you and be able to put myself before you and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Because if you know who you are, 
you know what you have to do. Which brings me back to our text this morning. Our primary text from Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount. The upside down kingdom. You see, when Jesus climbs the mountain to deliver this sermon and a group of people are assembled around him, he doesn't share it with a group of people who've got it all together. He doesn't share this message with the people who have a broad social media network at their disposal. He doesn't, he doesn't broadcast this or talk to, this, to, a, to a certain group of people who are teeming with individual confidence so that they're going to go out from this point and change the world. No, he calls together a group of people that he refers to as the least of these. And it's to this audience... And it's to you, our congregation, to to me, the, the listeners to this this morning, that he gives this charge, these verses that say, you are, you are the salt of the earth. You are, you are the light to the world. It's rather astonishing, isn't it? That God would use these people. That God would use you people. That God would use me at all. We need to be reminded of this again and again and again. And as wonderful as it is that the God of the universe would speak creation into existence with just his voice, and as wonderful it is is that Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Messiah, that he would die on the cross for you and for me, as wonderful as all that is, it's equally wonderful, and it is still a miracle that God chooses to use. It's equally a miracle that he would choose to use me and you, broken vessels, damaged goods, flawed beings, to be the salt and the light to the world. Praise be to God. So look again at verse 13. It says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot. Now salt is used for a lot of different things in their time period and in our time period. If you watch any of the cooking shows, there's always this idea of you're going to need a little bit of salt and you feel just the right amount of salt. Don't douse it in salt, but you need a little bit of salt and all of a sudden your food will come alive. If any of you are obsessed with cooking shows like my family is, you hear them talk about this all the time. Well, how much use? I don't know, and they just kind of throw a pinch of it or something. I don't know how they measure it out, but they get it right. Wally's laughing at me. Thank you, Wally. But what is salt? You are the salt of the earth. Salt is a few things. Let's look at it this morning. Salt is flavoring. Salt is flavoring. First, if you want to put salt on something, it's because you want it to come alive. You want it to taste good. Try to eat a bag of chips that's gone stale or that, that's been sitting in water or something and the salt is all missing. It, it's not good. You don't want it. You don't want popcorn at the movie theater without butter and salt on it. Don't waste your time. If it's lost its saltiness, it's lost its flavor. It's the same thing as a, a Pepsi can that you, you open up and leave it on the counter for a month and then come back and try to drink it and see if it still tastes good. It's lost all of its fizz. It's lost all of its pizzazz. Salt is for flavoring. Secondly, salt is for preserving. Again, if you're looking back at first century Christians, they didn't have refrigerators or a way to keep meat good or anything like that, so they salted it. 
And by salting it, it could last for a lot longer. It was able to preserve, able to keep its uh, long life. That's why uh, the, the apocalypse shelters that are going underground, you have these canned goods, these canned foods, they're just filled and teeming with salt to be able to keep it alive for a long time. Salt is preserving. And thirdly, salt is valuable. It's actually the same word where the word salary comes from, or the idea of worth your weight in salt. The Roman guards of that day would literally get paid in blocks of salt at times because it was such a commodity. That's why you're worth your weight in salt, was because you, you, you actually have done a day's wage, and so here's the salt that you get to pay for that. So, so salt became valuable because there was not a lot of it to be available, and because of that, they would pay one another in it. You are the salt of the earth. Secondly, you are the light of the world. Let's read that one, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You are the light of the world. We've heard these verses before. But we need to be thinking through it, be reminded of uh, what's actually being stated there. Well, here's some things about light. And this may be obvious to you. But light is visible. It's visible. You can see it. When someone walks into a dark room with a flashlight, you know that the flashlight is in the room because there's a light shining out of the flashlight. You know your flashlight isn't working if you turn on your flashlight and nothing what? Happens. Because light is visible. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're driving across the interstate and you're coming up on a city, there's a glow that comes around that city. It's visible. You can see it there. Which is the very reason why back in the World War I, World War II, you have these, these ideas that you'd shut off all the lights so they wouldn't know you're there. Because light is visible. You can see it. And in the same sense, light is radiating. It shines. So in the same way, you drive up on a city, you can see the glow of a city. We are told here you would put a, a light in the center of a room. You're not going to put it under a bowl. You're not going to hide that light. No, if you, you want the light to radiate throughout the room. We just did an a, a, a addition on our house a couple years ago, and we put new lights in it, and they're LED lights. And all of us are not really used to what a room with LED lights is. It feels like you could land a plane in our living room. It's bright. It's light. So we put dimmers on all the lights just to calm it down a little bit. And then after a month, two months, six months of having the new house, actually all the lights are always all the way on. We just got used to that amount of light. That light radiates. If you drive by a house at night and you look and you can see that there's a party going on in that house because all the lights are on. It radiates out of the house. And thirdly, light is reflective. We're reminded by this because in verse 14... Verse 16, excuse me, says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are not the source of light. So the moon is not the source of light, but it can. We have a full moon right now that the moon can shine light on the earth because it reflects. In the same way, when you and I are carrying the light of the Lord in us, it reflects out and around us. So light is visible. Light radiates. Light's reflective. So Jesus is on this mountain. He's got people gathered around him that no one else would gather around themselves if they were going to try to change the world. And he speaks this message of hope. 
this upside-down kingdom. He starts out with the blessings that we talked about last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness. So those are the people that I am looking for. And those damaged, broken goods, those are the ones that I'm going to use to salt the earth, to light the world. So as the band comes back up this morning, as we work towards closing our service this morning, when you know who you are, you know what to do. And Jesus here, two different times, says, you are. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's a plural, so it's y'all are. So if you're from the south, you'd understand that y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. So how do we take this this morning and do something with it? First, we've got to remember who it is that we are, because then we'll know what to do. So we are the children of God, bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to salt the earth. We're supposed to light the world. So, so be salt. Be valuable to the kingdom of God. Salt holds this tremendous value. It has this preservation quality, the ability for salt to change the environment. That's what we are called to do. We're called to be light and to shine bright. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Would you hide your light under a bushel? No! (laughs) Would you let Satan blow out your light? No, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine all over Williamsville. What if this church was a place that, that salted the earth? What if this, was, this church was a place that shone their light to the world? Wouldn't Williamsville look different? What if we as a collective group of churches were the salt to the earth? What if we were the light to the world? Wouldn't Buffalo look different? All over western New York, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He doesn't even say be a salt to Jerusalem or Judea. He says you are going to be the salt to the whole earth. You're going to be the light to the whole world. It's not about you. You've been adopted, friends. The Apostle Paul teaches us that. He said, you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been pulled out, and now you are a child of the king. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And when you do the things that God has called you to do, what happens here? We find out that they praise, they may see your good deeds and praise the Father who is in heaven. We started our worship service this morning with a doxology. Praise God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song called Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. The word in the beginning The powerful, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus is because of Jesus that we know what to do. We know how to live our lives. Friends, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. May you go this morning so that they see Jesus. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word.
We pray, Lord, that you would use broken vessels. Lord, we're going to be humbled at times. Lord, I, I thank you for humbling me this week. And so, Lord, I pray that I'm not speaking out of a place where I've got it all together, Lord, but I'm broken this morning, damaged, and still able to say that you've decided to use me. And so, Lord, I pray that your words have come through louder than mine today. Lord, that the focus is not on me, but the focus is on you. And Lord, I pray as we sing about this wonderful, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus, that you would get all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.